Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So uh, the big news uh, besides, of course, the absolutely fantastic Night to Shine. Can we just give it up again for those Night to Shine folks that you guys, that was a huge, huge effort and I, I had an amazing time. It was, uh, and I heard lots of you say, you know, this was like a, a, an incredible night uh, that you will never forget. Uh, so thank you all for being a part of it. The, the other big news uh, is that the, there's going to be some new emojis. I'm, you guys, I hope you have heard this. Oh, I'm the first telling you? Yes, there are new emojis that are coming out. And of course, this is always the highlight of the year, right? This is so great. We have like all of these incredible ways to start to communicate with people. Now, I was, I was late to the emoji thing. And so a bunch of you had already been sort of texting them to me and sending them in emails, even some moving ones and stuff like this. And I was like, this is weird. Like adults sending me pictures, like tiny little pictures. I don't even get this. And now it is hard for me to text without an emoji. So almost all of them now, I, 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 and, I, and I think you get your favorites, right? Does anybody have favorite emojis? Like you use them, right, what do you, what's your favorite? The throwing up one. <laughs> you have, that is great. All right, what are some other fun, do you have some favorites out there? Is it what? The eye rolling, that's a great one. So yeah, I, my, my, uh, my favorite is uh, the uh, shaka. So not to be confused with like, you know, devil horns, which, you know, also hook them if you're a longhorn fan or like, you know, live long and prosper. It's not to be confused with any of those things. This is shaka. The shaka, of course, I used to use this when my kids were on stage and, you know, they were performing and doing something at school and I'd kind of give them a shaka, you know, like, hey man, hang loose. Just chill, relax, everything is cool, this is great. And so, you know, think of how much, how much can be communicated in a simple little symbol. Now, it's difficult to communicate. We know, especially when you're trying to communicate emotion, it's a challenging thing to do, especially when you're writing it out. And, you know, that's why we talk about the importance of face-to-face -face communication, because it's hard to communicate things in writing. You've got to be a really gifted writer, and you've got to write a lot to, like, pull emotion into it. And so we see all of these, you know, emotion emojis, you know. And so actually, if you could just, you know, for fun, like sometime here in the morning, just take out your phone and send someone on your list, someone in your, in your contacts who isn't here, just send them the shaka emoji sometime this morning and then say nothing else. Yeah. All right, so don't say, like, don't tell them why and don't respond to it for a few hours. They'll just get this, like, hang loose, man. And they're going to be like, what? Why are you sending me this randomly on a Sunday morning? And see what, see what ends up coming out of that conversation. It's sort of an interesting thing because language really seems to devolve. 
You know, we see this with, with English. It used to be way more precise. And you could communicate things with the like kind of language structures. The Greek language is the same sort of a thing. They, they say, you know, in the really ancient Greek, it just, it was more sophisticated. And somehow language devolves. But emojis are actually an evolution of our language. And so I think in, in many years, we're going to see that this is actually the case. That, that we, you see, we're, we're trying to communicate more about what we're feeling with people. And we're trying to use these pictures in order to do it. I think that's pretty interesting. I just don't know that the emojis are up for the task of carrying that full burden. In fact, it's just as easy to pop up any emoji. One maybe that you don't really feel like, you know, you kind of just put on these masks, right? Like I could just do this and like teach the whole morning, and then when I have like a new mood I want to like communicate, I can kind of throw another one up, and like, you know, you can imagine we went through life actually wearing like emoji, me you know, for my wife, baby. <laughs> so, you know, like, but you know, you could just as easily pop one up that you don't mean, right? So you're, you're frustrated because you're sweet, you know, you got a special someone out there, and you've been kind of texting back and forth with them, and all of a sudden they go dark for hours, nothing. And of course, you're frustrated, and what you want to do is you want to like text, you know, the, you know, the, the confused or the frustrated or the, the wide eye one, but of course, you can't do that because, you know, it's not the, the emotion you want to send to them, and, you know, then all of a sudden, they send something back, and you send like the big, you know, heart eyes. But that's not how you really feel. How you really felt was frustrated and insecure and a little bit nervous, or your boss sends you a quick text, hey, you got to pick up that extra shift. What you want to send them is like the red face with the little bleeping out like in front of it. But of course, you don't. You send them a thumbs up. You see, so you can, you can just as easily hide behind your emoji as we were able to hide behind any other kind of communication. And it's interesting because we really do want to be known, but not really. Not always. Sometimes we want to be seen, but only the parts of us that we really want you to see. So we find ways of hiding. This whole series is about the uncomfortable but all-important need that every single one of us has for genuine and authentic Christian community. That's what the whole of this series is actually about. And we cannot allow this sort of confusion that goes on out there to keep us from exploring authentic Christian community. There was a, a man about 30 years ago. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Howard Snyder. He's a scholar born in the Dominican Republic. He's a seminary professor, a leader of Christian renewal movements. And uh, this was a long time ago now. He was asked, how would you disrupt community? What would you do if you wanted to tear community apart? And he said, well, I would fragment family life. I would move people away from the neighborhoods they grew up in, give them bigger houses and yards, separate the places where people work from where they live, partition off people's lives into as many worlds as possible, make sure everyone gets their own car, replace meaningful communication with TV, finally, cut down on family size and instead fill the larger homes with more things. He'd be able to create, he said, a post-familial, disconnected culture where self is king, relationships are thin, and individuals fend for themselves. 30 years ago. Of course, he was already observing the trends that were only going to escalate in our day. There was a group 
of about uh, 30, about 20 men, all fathers in their 30s and 40s. How many fathers do we have in this room in their 30s and 40s? I'm one. How many more? Let me see. No, you're fifth, Frank. You put your hand down. You're fifth, 40, yeah. When? A decade ago? So, no. So, you know, there's quite a few of us here, men in our, dads in our 30s and 40s. They gathered at a home in Oakland, California, and they were asked, how many of you have real friends, meaning confidants, with whom they could talk honestly and vulnerably about life? on a regular basis, not like once or twice, but on a regular basis through good times and bad. Two out of the group were able to say they had that. Imagine if that same number holds true here in our midst. Be a couple of you here, a few of you, who would be able to say they had real friends. I mean, who would have imagined that one of the most popular TED Talks of all time would be about vulnerability. <laughs> when I was hearing this, I was like, this makes absolutely no sense to me. All right, if you said there was a talk on TED that would help you not be vulnerable, I would give 18 minutes of my life to that. I would, I, that would be totally great. Show me how not to be vulnerable, that would be something I would absolutely like to learn. But that's not what Brene Brown is talking about. She's actually showing, with a whole huge body of research and kind of punctuated with her own experiences, and she shows that, the, that vulnerability is important in all areas of life, especially in our relationships. And so we came into this series, and this topic kept getting kicked around. And when we were kind of divvying up the topics, I said to Chris and Trevor, I'm like, you know, I really feel like one of you guys would be, this would be a great topic for you. And they seemed to ha have a consensus between them that it was actually me who needed to teach this topic. <laughs> and I don't know what to make of that, uh, but I didn't want to. And uh, so I've been really wrestling with these ideas here over the last month or so as I knew this was coming up. And what I'm realizing is that there are, really, there are many, many, many of us, especially men, who don't really feel known or understood. And even those of us who are, are still often holding back who we really are. Why? Why do we do this and what can we do about it? Now, the, the overwhelming compulsion to hide, pull ourselves away from others, is due to sin. In Genesis chapter 3, we're not going to be turning there, but we find that after sin, Adam and Eve went and hid from God. That's how the scriptures define it. They, they describe it. They hid from God. And then as soon as God kind of found, they kind of started talking, they blamed each other and even blamed God for what had happened. And that blame led to an isolation. They began to grow apart from each other and, of course, from God. So they sin, then we hide, then we blame and then we lose relational closeness. That's how the Bible starts. That's Genesis chapter 3. The whole story of our isolation begins right then. I mean, could you imagine how hard it would be to get to know people who were constantly wearing these kinds of masks? I would love to do this as a fun little social experiment. Just kind of put like four or five of you who don't know each other and just put you in a room with these masks on. And just say, you know what, I'd like you guys to have a regular, normal conversation. Be like, oh, that's ridiculous. 
You can't see their face. You don't need, this is ridiculous. We're hiding something fake. It's not them. But we, but we do this all the time. Not something so goofy, but we wear all of these masks that don't really represent who we are. And sin, it causes us to hide from God, and it causes us to move away from each other because we're ashamed of who we are. And we, we feel like we're going to be rejected if people actually really knew us. See, this kind of vulnerability we don't like, and yet when you get to the Scriptures, you find out that the Scriptures are filled with cries of vulnerability. When you get into the Psalms, you'll hear things like, From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. I think of God, and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for His help. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And you might say, yeah, but that's the Psalms. Those are the poets and the artists. That's always how they are. Like, they, you know, that's all they know is emotive. But then, you know, you got to remember, a lot of the Psalms were written by King David, right? David, who, as a young shepherd boy, would kill the lion and, and the bear if they came after his sheep. This is the shepherd boy who later faced down the giant with a slingshot and killed Goliath. He ruled as a mighty warrior this great united kingdom. So that King David also said things like, I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. He also said, from the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. See, we were made to be vulnerable, to, be, to, be, to need our creator, as well as to need each other. You move into the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, and you see things like this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. See, we find texts like this, they point to our inherent vulnerability, our weakness, our need to depend on God and each other. I want to take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If you'd open up in a Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to take, I mean, not just to have one here, but if you actually don't own a good, easy-to-read translation of the Bible, then take one of these home. Just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. And uh, you can just take this home and underline in it, mark in it, and, and uh, it'll kind of just help you follow along and learn the Bible a little bit. Uh, just don't take notes in one here and then return it. You know, keep it because we don't need your notes uh, in the Bible. But, uh, it, but you would like to have your own notes in it, and that is always helpful. And what we see in here is that vulnerability is actually going to allow us to fully know God and to be known by our brothers and sisters. So look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So I want to just start with the most obvious part of this text, all right? You're a sinner. Now, don't be shocked. I know you're like, I can't believe it. But of course, no one is shocked by this. So in order to practice vulnerability just a little bit, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a sinner. There's your first step in vulnerability. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, you probably know the person sitting next to you. So turn to the person behind you and tell it to now a near stranger. I'm a sinner. What a, what a shocking revelation. And of course, we all know this to be true. Why do we work so hard at hiding it? Because the beauty here in this text is that's what verses 8, 9, 10 tell us. But verse 7 says the blood of Jesus purifies us. And that's so key. You don't admit you're a sinner. You can't, you can't use the purifying power of Jesus' blood. If you can't confess, if you can't come clean, if you can't admit it to yourself or to others, then you actually won't go to the source of forgiveness. Bonhoeffer, he said, The mask you wear before others will do you no good before God. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. He loves the sinner. Through him, we could be sinners. And only so could we be helped. All sham was ended in the presence of Christ. I read that line and it just struck me. All sham is ended in the presence of Christ. Would you guys say that with me? All sham is ended in the presence of Christ. Let's say that again. All sham is ended in the presence of Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were to live this truth? All sham. It's over. We now get to walk in the light. The text tells us that God is in fact light. Now, if we live in darkness, we hide ourselves and then we hurt our fellowship with God. So think of it like this. If something conceals like darkness does, if something masks us, if we, if we throw up distractions, if we mislead others with our words, if we refuse to come clean, if we decide to just act a part all of that is darkness. It conceals. And that's what sin wants. See, sin wants us to be unreal. It wants us to be pretending, to be excusing ourselves and to be blaming others. Rather than taking responsibility for who we really are. Because you cannot have a meaningful relationship with an unreal person. So we immediately beget, begin to get more and increasingly isolated. And any sort of an honest and deepening relationship with God will mean that we are committed 
to walking in the light as 1 John tells us. And what's the main characteristic of light? It reveals. Darkness conceals, light reveals. So whenever anything shows us for who we really are, it's light. And when that happens, it's a gift. It's a gift to us. If we walk in the light, then we also, according to verse 7, have fellowship with each other. I've heard it described as kind of like the spokes on a wheel. So, you know, God is here in the center, and all of us are the spokes. And as we move closer to God, the spokes all are getting closer and closer together. And that's a neat picture at first. And then you realize, well, that's great because, you know, as we move closer to God, we move closer to each other. But then you could also use it as a diagnostic. If that's how it was meant to be, then if we aren't close to each other, it betrays something about our relationships with each other. If we're not getting, uh, when in our relationship with God, if we're, if we're still feeling distant from people, if we're still feeling separated, then it means we, we can't really be drawing close to God. They're related. The two of them will feed off of each other, and as you move closer to God, you will inevitably be drawn closer to each other. And if you're not, then there is something that isn't quite right in your relationship with God either. You can't simply say, I am really close to God and he and I are like bosom buddies, but no, 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 I have no connections with other people. It's like, it doesn't work that way. If you're moving closer to God, you will in fact have increasing fellowship with each other. And so evidence of a faltering relationship with God is is actually showing that we aren't going to be close to others and vice versa. Versa. Roy Hessian, he puts it like this. He says, of course, the purpose of walking in the light is that we might have fellowship one with another. And what fellowship it is when we walk this way together. Obviously, love will flow from one to another. When each is prepared to be known as the repentant sinner, he or she is at the cross of Jesus. When the barriers are down and the masks are off, God has a chance of making us really one. We had asked you guys uh, very recently, I think maybe even last week, to share your stories with us. And we put up a slide and we told you, you know, share our stories. And, uh, and a couple of you already did, and one of them fit just perfect for today. And we asked if we would be able to share the story that uh, was shared with us through that, uh, through that website. And so uh, here it is. Some of you know Ben. And he said uh, that my whole life has been full of obstacles, but the one that has continued to challenge my faith has been my mental health. I've been trying to overcome depression for the past 15 years, and the results have been unsuccessful. I never admitted my struggles to anyone except for my wife. Two years ago, I had surgery. During the recovery, I went into the worst depression ever. I remember avoiding family and friends on one of my darkest days. God sent over one of my church brothers that I had avoided his texts and his phone calls, and and I was isolating myself. But he just showed up at my house. And the first question to him that I asked was, why do you love me like this? And his response was that God's love for him allowed him to love me. And that statement was forever transforming for me. 
I've since had a second surgery and I found myself trying to overcome my depression on my own again with no relief. My wife and I decided that I should take some time off of work in order to work through this. I found the courage to share my mental health issues with my small group and the relief in sharing this secret that I've been keeping for so many years was unbelievable. It was like a weight was lifted. The support from my spiritual family has been incredible. Their love and prayer through this difficult time has provided a comfort that can only be described as a supernatural love that only God can produce. God's love is so amazing that it allows us to love one another without judgment. I thank God for surrounding me with men and women who love him. I've realized that God is there for us no matter what, but he also wants us to have a relationship with one another, and that was what I was struggling with. My inability to share and ask for help hindered my relationship with everyone around me, including God. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, let's hear that. Let's... See, that's, that's the reality. That's what we feel. That's the experience of this. You know, another way to kind of go at this idea is think of it like this. There are lots of versions of you, all right? And you've got, you know, like there's, there's dad Robert, you know, and there's happy Robert, and there's hardworking Robert, and there's like pastor Robert, uh, you know, those are like different, I have all these different versions of who I am. And I was reading a book and they were describing these different versions and, and saying, you know, those aren't the only parts of you, right? Because there's also angry Robert and there's lustful Robert and there's insecure Robert. And what we tend to do is imagine yourself, you know, at a table, right? And, and Christ is offering you a supper. And you're going to bring all of the versions of you to this table. And it's at that supper table. It's at that dinner table where you get to interact with Jesus and you get to hear his wisdom and you get to experience his healing and his forgiveness and all of that great stuff. Except because of the, the masks that we wear, we say to ourselves, you know what, this is great for for like dad Robert and hardworking Robert, because they should come and sit in the presence of Jesus. But, you know, angry Robert, we're going to leave him out back in the dark. You know, he's not allowed to come to the table because he's actually a bit of a jerk and no one really likes him. So let's just kick him out and make him go fend for himself. And, you know, let, let lustful Robert go live in the caves out in the back of the property. He can't come here to this banquet with Jesus because, you know, he's actually embarrassing. And so we, we want to kind of, you know, keep him out there. And the good news is we tell ourselves that when angry Robert and, and, and insecure Robert, when they're left to their own devices way out there, they'll starve. I mean, they're not at the table, right? And so they'll starve. They'll get weaker. And eventually they'll just sort of die off. But of course, that's not what happens when we send them loose in the wild. They don't die off. They don't become weaker. They become feral. They become uncontrollable because they actually haven't been able to sit at the table and, and, and heal in the presence of Christ. You know, why is it that I don't feel known? Well, because, because you're not. Because you're keeping these parts of yourself, you're, you're sticking them out, you know, in the hinterlands. You're saying, don't know, no, you can't see, you can't come, you can't experience the love of Christ, and you certainly can't experience acceptance from other people because you will embarrass me. So we keep them stuffed out somewhere else. 
where they get stronger and they get nastier. We got to bring them to the table. The same thing goes with our relationships with each other. If angry Robert never gets to come to the table of friendship, then of course I can't really be known by anyone. Of course I'm going to feel isolated because I'm, I'm not actually really known. And I can tell myself, and if you really knew me, you wouldn't actually like me. That's what sin does. Listen, vulnerability isn't easy. It means we have to give up some of our emotional and spiritual privacy. It means we can't hide our inner selves from each other or even from God. It means that we have to risk our reputation because, well, now we're exposed. And it can be very humbling. But it also, it also allows us down this journey of self-discovery. We don't have to, to keep parts of us hidden. And this process of self-discovery lets more and more light get into the crevices of our soul. And it, light, it brings light into all of these areas that have just gone dark and dank that need the presence of Christ and other people. Vulnerability will actually become the mechanism by which we can be truly known and still loved. And it will deepen our Christian community. You know, we often have this experience that once they really know who I am, they will love me less. But the people who have ventured into this will tell you the exact opposite happens. With real vulnerability in a genuine Christian community, you will be loved more because you'll more fully and completely be known. Yes, absolutely, some people are going to betray your trust. It is worth the risk because many won't. Absolutely. You, you may, in fact, you will be hurt. But the healing and the hope and the connection, it far outweighs what we're exposing and risking. I'm going to ask you guys to consider. Find this group. You know, maybe you're already in a small group, but you guys are still kind of skirting across the surface of relationship. Take a page out of Ben's book. Don't live that way anymore. Don't, don't just skip across the surface. Go deep. Tell them why. Tell them what you're hoping to do. Tell them you want more from these kinds of relationships and then lead the way by example and see what God will do with it. Take those risks. Stop keeping our relationships at this superficial level. Find the two or three people that you can be truly and fully vulnerable with and see what kind of goodness and what kind of healing, what kind of light that God will actually pour into your soul and into your community. That is our hope and our prayer for every single one of you that calls Beacon Church home. I'm going to ask the band to come up and they're going to lead us at a time as we enter into communion but as they do that, I just want to say a word of prayer for those of us who want to move further in, uh, in, these, in this direction. So let's pray. Lord, what we're hoping for here 
Is it as a result of being here and, and we sing these songs and we come to the Lord's table and we look at your word and we learn a little bit about what it, what it teaches us and how it challenges us? And what I'm asking, Lord, is that you would give each person here the courage to be vulnerable, to open themselves up, to let themselves be truly known. Father, each and every one of us, we need to be a safe place for others who want to do this. But Lord, what we need is the courage to be truly known, to let all those different parts of ourselves come, come to the forefront, to, to sit at the table, to be blessed by the presence of Jesus, to be strengthened and encouraged and corrected by the presence of our friends. Lord, we want this, and, and we want so much more than this for each and every person here. We're asking that you would use today and this week and the next few weeks to make this more and more real of us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.